Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. Today, we are doing another career spotlight. So last time we did a career spotlight, we talked to Howard Marks, the founder of Activision, and it was all about video games and how math is such an integral part and component of effective video game design. So today, we're moving to a different industry. And the industry that we're focusing on today is construction. So I have a a very close friend of mine joining me on the show today who owns a construction company, and his name is Tim Bemis. And Tim lives in Michigan, where I grew up. That's how we met years ago, almost 16 years ago back in Michigan. And he is the co-owner of a construction company called Valdivia Construction. And I'll let him talk a little bit more about what exactly they do. And he, we've talked about this before in private about math and construction and he uses math all the time he's got a really good math mind and so he's going to explain exactly how math relates to having this type of a business so for those of you guys out there who have a construction company or you have kids that are interested in construction and building and designing this is a great episode for you guys so without further ado tim welcome to the show thanks thanks how's it going Pretty good. It is in the morning here in LA. I know you guys are a few hours ahead. So, and you guys have had really hot weather lately, right? Yeah, yeah. It's actually been really nice. Like no, no rain. Maybe a little sprinkle here and there, but in the eighties, sunny. Very so, nice. Been a lot of fun. Yeah, I usually avoid Michigan in the winter months for the most part. Though I go home every Thanksgiving, and when I do, Tim got married a couple years ago, and at the speech that I gave a speech at his wedding, I was one of his best men, and at the speech. Uh, at the wedding in my speech, I told Laura, his wife, I was like, I know Tim's getting married. I know this is happening, but we still got to have a boys night every time I come home, just one night. And of course she agreed. So that's pretty cool of her. <laughs> but, uh, all right. over- oh, sorry, go ahead. I would say we're overdue for one soon. <laughs> I know, I know. I got to make it back. So tell us a little bit about your background and your, your deg- the degree that you got in college and you know, what did you study? Okay. Well, I, I always uh, have kind of been involved in the construction industry with my uh, father. It's actually my father's company that started it. So just working as a laborer, as a grunt, you know, in summers in college and high school. Um, but I actually went to college and got my degree in mechanical engineering. So massive math background right there. Um, but it just happened to be when I graduated college was kind of the time where everything stopped in Michigan. There was no auto industry to talk about, uh, no job offers available. It was, it was kind of bleak. So I had the opportunity just with my math background and a little bit of construction knowledge, not much. I got a job opportunity to work as a project engineer uh, for a large construction firm. And my first project was actually working on the casinos in Detroit. So I jumped at the opportunity. And uh, from there, kind of 
just uh, stayed in the field and enjoyed it. I like the idea of uh, not being in the same place all the time. Um, given you may be in your office a lot, doing a lot of paperwork and what have you, but the job sites always change, you know, maybe two years at most three years, if it's a really large project, but you're constantly seeing different cities, different areas. It's brought me to Chicago to Midwest, most of the Midwest I've built, not, not too far, but there are the opportunities for me if I wanted to leave. Um, and then it's kind of cool that after you do build something, you can always drive by it or see it and be like, Hey, you know, I had a hand in that. My mind was part of that being designed and being built. Um, so that's kind of cool. And then as I worked, I, uh, learned more, gained my knowledge and then kind of went off on my own, took my father's company and, and working to make, just make it larger and uh, bigger than it is now. So before you you went back to Valdivia Construction and started running the business alongside your father, tell, for for kids who are interested in maybe becoming a project engineer at a corporation, what is that? What, can you just describe a little day to day? What was it like? What were the things that you had to do as a project engineer? Um, the main thing as a project engineer is um, you're you're kind of the main gear um, of the, the the main sprocket of the whole the whole thing, just making sure everything runs smooth. You got to um, review all the drawings. You work from the beginning uh, with the estimating team, make sure you guys get your price right, get all your bids in for your subcontractors, work with them to make sure they know exactly what needs to be built. Um, you work with the architect in the planning phase. Um, now, given you're not the designer, but you do do some design build on site. If something needs to be changed, you do have the authority to say, Hey, you know, we need to build it this way. Um, so you just, you're in a lot in the planning phases and you make sure everyone has that information. If, if a subcontractor, you know, didn't know some wall had to be built in a certain area, that's kind of going to fall back on you because you didn't relay that information to him and, and kind of teach him what has to be done. And then once you pass the, pass the planning phase and you're actually in their building, you're overseeing any changes from the architect, going over changes with them, any problems that are, um, may come up, you're going over the billing, you're, you're basically just managing the whole job and making sure, you just got to make sure nothing is built wrong. You're, you're overseeing everyone um, and you're more, you're, you're kind of... Um, a leg in each each area. You're a little bit of a superintendent. You're a little bit of an estimator. You're a little bit of a the whole the whole project manager. You're a little bit of an architect. And sometimes you you may have to get your hands dirty, and you know help build something in case something's behind schedule or behind time. Um, make sure materials are there. So so it's pretty hands on, pretty involved job. For for kids listening, for kids listening who don't know what a subcontractor is and what bids are, can you just explain very briefly what is what is what are subcontractors? How do the bids work? Okay, when you're when you work on large projects such as I do, you're you're the main person that an owner would hire, and you're called the the contractor. Um, now, when you're a contractor, usually you don't self perform all the work. Now, I can self perform in my company. Mostly I do concrete. I'll, I can physically do the concrete. That's self-performing your own work. But I'm not a plumber. I'm not an electrician. 
Um, I'm not a heating and cooling guy. I can't install a furnace. So what I do then is I go out and hire another company under me, but we're still under the main umbrella of the owner that goes to owner, then me, then the plumber and the plumber's my subcontractor. I subcontract him from my main contract to do the work. Um, and then, um, a bid is just basically his price. What, what he's going to charge me to, you know, run these pipes, install this furnace, et cetera. And then I take that price and I, I want that to kind of be the best price I can get because I had already gave the owner my price. So that difference in price is usually my profit of what I can make on the job. And, and that's how you, you profit as a contractor. Now, some companies you build for, they may say, hey, we want you to build this and this is how much we're going to give you. And, and they don't want um, any kind of markup from your subcontractor. So basically, they're just paying you to manage them. So whatever their price is, it goes straight to the owner, which is fine because the owner's giving you a fee for a job of just overseeing them. I see. Okay, thank you. That was excellent. Now, let, let's just talk really quickly. We're going to jump in very shortly into how math relates to your line of work, how you use it on a daily basis. What, can you just quickly tell us what are some of the things that you've built over the years that you think are really cool of Michigan that, that are your favorite things to point out? Well, probably, probably the biggest was the first jobs I was on is probably uh, the casinos, MGM Grand Casino. Greektown Casino and Motor City Casino. Being working on all three of those, that was actually really exciting. Um, seeing them going up, seeing them finish. I mean, every time I go in there, especially like MGM, because that was the one I was on the most, um, like I had my wedding party there. You were a part of it. Just that, you know, we stayed in there, and I just know the fact that this hotel, I kind of knew where all the plumbing went, all the pipes went, what exactly was there, what was, you know, that I – help build this place. So that was, that's pretty exciting. Um, as far as excitement, that's probably the coolest I've done in Michigan retirement communities, a company I worked for, they specialize in retirement homes. So, you know, when I drive by and see those, it's, it's nice to know that I worked on those and it was pretty rewarding because we did a lot of uh, volunteer work when we were there too with the seniors. So it was actually a pretty rewarding job when we were working there. Um, but now in the past, uh, years years since I've been with Valdivia Construction, we actually specialize in industrial work. I don't really do the commercial as much, so I specialize in factories and press plants, and we're really uh, getting to um, a small area of machine foundations, which not a lot of companies do, so we're actually in high demand for that because we're one of the better companies in building machine press pits or machine foundations, which is pretty intricate work because if that isn't correct, then this million dollar machine that they bought to find, to build their company around, uh, won't work properly. I see. Okay. Very interesting. Very cool. And yes, uh, I've been to these different casinos many times. I'm not as familiar, of course, with with the with the industrial side, but MGM Casino, all those are those are awesome, fun to go to. So, Tim, now let's talk a little bit about math. How is math? So, this is again for kids who love construction, who love to build, like you do, and are interested in this career path. What are some of the ways in which you use math on a daily basis on the job? 
Okay, I'm going to go, I mean, math is huge in construction, um, it, all the way up from, you know, the architect, all the way down to the guy with a shovel in his hand. Um, so I'm going to just go over to kind of the points that I know me and my workers use on an everyday basis. And if I didn't know this stuff, or if they didn't know majority of this stuff, then work's going to be very slow. We're not going to get the job done and it's going to be wrong and we're probably going to be out of business. So just to start off the, the right off the bat, the thing that's used every hour probably of a job and people don't think twice about it is a tape measure. And when you're using tape measure, you're dealing with fractions and that's huge. You got your quarter inch, half inch, eighth, what have you. And with those fractions, you have to be able to um, add and subtract them quickly. Um, and they're not equal fractions. You're not just adding halves. You're not adding quarters. You know, I may have a dimension, hey, I have a quarter inch here and I got to add an eighth. You know, go get me uh, three eighths, you know, something. Um, and I'm not going to have a calculator with me to do that. I, I need to be able to do that inside my head. Um, now, if I was sitting at a plan table and I'm going over it, doing a lot of accurate drawings or say estimating a job, then yeah, I may have a calculator just to make sure there's no mistakes and I'm adding tons of numbers together. But when you're in the field, you're not going to have a calculator. Your hands are dirty, so you're not going to want to pull out your, you know, $800 iPhone to touch it, to try to add it. And plus someone's going to yell at you why you you know, taking your time. What, what do I need? What do I need? It's, it's pretty fast paced. Um, so that's, it's not practical to have a calculator in the field. And with fractions, you have to be able to convert them to decimals too. Um, you have to be able to convert fractions of inches and also feet in the decimals. As an example, most architectural drawings, they'll be in fractions. You'll see 10 feet, four and a half inches. But in land surveying um, drawings, which we work with a lot because grade is very important, how deep we're putting something, how high something goes, that's usually all in decimals. So if they give me, this has to be at say 50.525. Okay, well, what is that? That's 50 feet, six, um, 50, 50 feet, six inches and a quarter. So you have to be able to flip flop between the both of those. Um, and also you have to be able to know your fraction. So if I have an eighth and an inch, a lot of times I need to know the decimal of that to add them up. And that would be 0.125. Sorry. Very good. What is, what is, can I try you for seven eighths? 8.75. Right, right, right. I'm sorry, point, 0.875. There sorry. we go, 0.875. Excellent. Yes, that's right. It's re- it's cool because actually, so I've been teaching a fourth grade math class for the last, what is it, four, uh, three, four months now. And that's what we, we've been covering right now in fourth grade is basically using decimals, using fractions, and how how the two relate, how they're the same, converting from fractions to decimals, vice versa. There's a lot of work in fourth grade, and it continues on fifth grade, sixth grade. These are things that really form the foundation of everything you're going to use for algebra, pre-calculus, so on and so forth. Super important. That's so great. 
to hear that, because I mean, I hear these objections all the time. Kids are saying that they need, they well, why do I need to learn this mentally if I can use a calculator? And here is a perfect example where when speed is an issue, you can, it, it's you. I beat calculators all the time when I'm doing when I'm multiplying, dividing, whatever, because the fact is that a calculator, in order to compute something. It necessitates the typing in of the numbers. And when you're, when speed is really important, if you can just do it in your head, it's much faster. You don't have to type anything. It just happens mentally. So that's awesome. So you talk about fractions and decimals. What other things, what other math concepts have you used on the job? Well, uh, one, one quick one kind of in that area of converting um, is just standard and metric. You know, especially working here in the U.S., a lot of our drawings for a lot of the machines and stuff will come in metric and not many people can measure in metric. You don't see many metric tape measures out there. So you have to be able to kind of convert back and forth, uh, you know, one inch to was it 2.54 centimeters. So oh, wow. that that's kind of what you need to be able to, to flip back and forth. Um, okay. So, Beyond conversion, that that's probably the 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 number one thing that's used constantly. That that area that I discussed. The next areas are very important and they're used regularly. But that right there is if you don't have that down, you just don't even try to work in this area. <laughs> basically, um, so the next kind of big area, which is kind of important from my side. Uh, being a boss because this can make or break you kind of financially is learning uh, areas of a certain, a volume of something um, such as concrete, um, how much I'll need um, grading material, such as how much dirt, how much stone I'll need, how much dirt or stone I'm going to be taking out so I can price it correctly, order the right amount of trucks, have the right number of guys there. Um, you know, if I have a hole there and I got to, hey, I got to dig this hole. Well, I'm just not going to dig it. I got to know where to take it. I got to know how much it's going to cost me. So I got to know how much dirt is there. Um, so <clears throat> that's pretty important to know that to the areas basically. Um, now, of course, the easiest would be of a, of a rectangle um, or square. Just an example, if I was pouring concrete of an area and it's 10 by 20, you got 200 square feet. And then you want to find the cubic volume. So how deep are we going to pour that? Let's just say we're doing a six inch slab. So we're going to times that by a half a foot. So now we have a hundred cubic feet. Now this is where it gets a little more tricky. So hundred cubic feet, still how much concrete do I order? Concrete in the U S is ordered by yards. So oh, now I need, a cu- I, I need a cubic yard. Well, a yard is three feet. So your three, a, a cube is a cube, all the same on every side. So three times three times three is 27. So you got 27 cubic feet in one yard. I divide that 100 by 27, and it comes out to roughly 3.7 yards. That number is important because when I order concrete for this job, I need to order. Now, you can't order 0.7 yards. So I'd round up and order four, okay? reason that's important is... If I order too much, especially on a big job, when I'm, I'm pouring, a, like, say, 100 yards, a yard of concrete 
roughly right now in Michigan is about $130. So every yard I'm off, that's $130 I'm paying. Now, I guess I'd rather be a little high and spend the money, which would hurt my pocket because you don't get that money back. You don't return concrete. That's just, boom, burn this money, throw it away. What if I underorder? That's where the big problem comes in. Because if you're pouring concrete, you can't have a stop. Usually what you're doing, you can't have a stopping point. That's going to weaken your, your, your foundation. That's going to weaken what, what you're doing. And the problem is, is if you order too little, a lot of times some, some of those companies can't bring you out more right then, especially on a big pour. If it's at the end of the day, good luck getting another truck out there. So if you under order it, you're going to, one, mess up the job, two, piss off the owner, and three, you're, you're not going to get hired again. So that number, that calculation is very vital to, um, to my company running correctly and having a good business plan. That's so fa- that's so interesting. It's it's it involves <laughs> see that involves a few different elements from math. It involves volume calculations. I have a lot of my high school kids who are taking their geometry finals well, last week and this week, and that that exact that that's what they focus on. In addition to area, is volume volume calculations of whether it's cubic prisms, whether it's cylinders, and I'm sure you guys have to do that occasionally if you drill mm-hmm. a circular hole and all these things. No, we then- pour columns. Oh, columns. Yeah, of course. Okay. And yep. and you have that. But then you have another element, which Tim has been talking about, which is basically a little bit of estimation or rounding up and doing it accurately with respect to, exa- you know, maybe going a little over so you make sure you don't have too little, but you don't go burning money. And, and I mean, all these different elements. And again, I'm going to take it back to mental math, because if you're simply relying on a calculator, and correct me, jump in if I'm wrong about this, but I have to believe this is correct. If, if you're simply relying on a calculator and your number sense is not very good, what's going to happen is if you do miscalculate something by chance on your calculator, let's say you type something in wrong and you don't have a very good number sense, you're not even you're not going to recognize that error when it goes down on paper and when you put in the order. Exactly. You're going you're to assume that calculator is correct because it's a calculator and you're ordering wrong. Yeah. And, and that's the importance of, that's the other importance of mental math. So you get into that, you get to that point where you're like, wait, that doesn't, where you can recognize that an answer doesn't make sense. And then you can save yourself a big hardship. And that's, that's really cool. I didn't know that you couldn't have, if you have a stopping point. So I think what, and correct me again, if I'm wrong, a stopping point, meaning you pour half the concrete, stop, and then resume the next day that creates a structural weakness. Yeah, it, it creates, it creates a cold joint. So basically, you're you're putting a pre-existing crack in the pour. Wow! Because it's stopping and going. Now, now maybe it could be all right. I mean, there's certain areas you you there there's there's things you can do to make that right. Like if you were doing a parking lot, it's not that big of a deal. You you maybe you make the one side flat, and then you just have to dowel uh, metal anchors to connect to the next piece. But if you're doing, a, say, a wall or a bearing wall. Or just something that that needs that strength because there's going to be a hundred thousand ton machine sitting on top of it, then you can't you can't have those stopping points. It's not engineered to have those stopping points. So if, in that case, if you had a stopping point, would you have to literally break the concrete and do it again? Um, 
Well, I've, I've had, I've had times where we've had to remove stuff because of that. We've had to basically cut back and remove to a point where the engineer who designed it was okay with that being from there. Um, it just, it just opens up a can of worms that you don't want to deal with. Uh, the kind of thing with that just it's going to give you headaches and that you're not going to sleep good at night. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, cool. So we've talked about, we've talked about volume. We talked about well, air. Oh yeah, go ahead. Real, real quick on the volume though. I had one other thing is not everything you measure in the fields, a square or rectangle. Like how I just gave that quick measurement. Okay. Um, you, you know, you, you pour something or you pour a wall. It, it It's not going to always be, per- that'd be awesome if it was and make life a lot easier. But you're going to have you're going to have circles. You're going to have triangles. You, you basically take an area and you want to break it up to what you can. Like, okay, this is a square. I can measure this. This is a circle. This is so. So you're you're going to need to be able to find areas and volumes of like you said of of circles of triangles, etc. You need to know those measurements. <laughs> it's so cool. There was actually just a problem I was working on with one of my students in geometry, and it was actually calculating the volume as well as the, the surface area of a make-believe castle where it was comprised. Uh, and it's so cool to hear this because it, it just tells me that that was a great problem with a lot of excellent real-world applications. It was comprised of spheres or half-spheres in this case, pyramids on the top of these different towers, uh, prisms, all that stuff. So it was, it was really, really cool. So great stuff. And then in, in addition to volume and area, is there anything else that you use even regularly, irregularly? Well, just an example last week, um, I just used this, which it's, you know, this doesn't come up a lot, but it was nice to know that I had this in my back pocket to, to figure out material. Basically you, you go buy too much material, you're wasting money and not not every place is like a Home Depot where you can take something back 90 days later. So um, I had to put uh, basically a, a pipe, a flexible pipe around um, a catch basin, a sewer, basically. We're building sewers and we had to put drain pipe around it. So I need to know how much drain pipe I need to purchase because you buy it by the foot. So what I need to do was figure out the circumference of around each drain. So I took the radius, which was three feet because it was um, six feet in diameter. So three feet. And then uh, the simple equation of two pi times radius three. So I knew I needed roughly just under 19 feet per each hole. Very nice. Love to see the application of pi in circumference. Very cool. (laughs) Um, And then probably like uh, another big thing, you know, that's used – especially uh, pouring driveways or handicap or even building a roof or, or building a building is, is slope. Um, so you can get roof pitch, the slope of the concrete for the parking lot, because I don't know if everyone probably sees that if you're out in say a Walmart parking lot or wherever, and it rains, what, what do you see the water do? You see it run a certain way to a drain. It's designed that way. That's poured with a certain slope that is calculated. Because if you just pour it, just throw the concrete down or the asphalt, it, the rain's going to sit there or go wherever it wants to go. That's that's not how our world and our infrastructure works, especially when you see roads. Where does the water go? To the sides, where the drains are. Um, so, you know, you got to use slope equation for that. And you can also use a slope equation with backwards. So, say a city might say, 
you have to, you can't have more than a 5% slope. Well, if I know my starting point and I know I can have 5% and I know I want to go a certain distance, I can look backwards and find point B and know that's how far my pull is. So that's kind of a cool little little thing to be able to know. So so now we've talked about we've talked about fractions, decimals, we've talked about areas, volumes. What are some if there are any other applications, what are they for math and construction? Yes. Some more uh, trigonometry uh, big that we use all especially carpenters is uh, Pythagorean's theorem, you know, a squared plus b squared equals c squared. Um, this is very important to make sure whatever we're building is square, square to a wall, square to a certain area, uh, out in the open, um, you're building a box, you're pouring a floor because if something's not square, if it's off, it could throw the whole job off, could make measurements down the road be wrong, or it just could make something look like crap, honestly. So, um, you know, that's huge, huge thing to use all the time to make sure whatever you're building is perfectly square. Um, and then once in a while, I've actually had uh, to figure out uh, off a square, the length of a certain side of say, um, I couldn't measure, I couldn't get over there to put my tape there. Say it was a, um, a deep hole we dug and I need to make sure it was square or measure the side. I've had to use sine, cosine, and tangent, um, such as say I needed the opposite side of this right angle, um, which is tangent of the angle equals opposite over adjacent. Um, so say I already know I'm at a 30 degree angle and I know one side will just stick with 30. Uh, you got tangent of 30 and then you times it by the 30. And then I know that one side is roughly 17.32 feet, which can help me because I can't get over there to measure it. And I need to know, or it's good to, you need to know that if you're say doing property lines, you're trying to figure out how long is this property line to make sure I'm not building on someone else's land. That's so cool. So for guys who are out there who haven't taken geometry yet, who haven't taken trigonometry yet, let me just quickly explain. So first we mentioned Pythagorean's theorem. That is one of the most common theorems used in math today, and it has to do with calculating side lengths of a right triangle. So again, obviously it has great relevance here. And when Tim talks about sine, cosine, and tangent, these are functions, really, really more relationships, I would call them, but they're considered functions, and they have to do with relationships between angles of right triangles and side lengths of right triangles. More than just side lengths, it's ratios of side lengths. So when Tim talks about taking tangent of a particular angle, the way you would use that on a calculator is it's really cool because these, these, these functions have been programmed into calculators. So you can basically say, all right, I've got a bottom length here of whatever it is, 30 feet. Okay, so let's say from where I'm standing to the wall is going to be 30 feet. And I know that I, I need to have a gradient or something, an angle of 30 degrees from where I'm standing going up. So if that's the case, how high do I need to build my wall? You can use a function like tangent, where he said you basically take tangent of 30, and then that's going to equal, like he said before, opposite over adjacent. It means it will equal the ratio of, this is hard to explain without visuals, but I'm doing my best. It's the ratio of the opposite side over the adjacent side. Adjacent just means the side right next to that angle. And so then you can basically, using some ratios and proportions, you can then 
almost like reverse engineer what the height should be. It's really cool. And I know that sometimes trigonometry can be can be tricky, but this is such a great way to try and understand it because it's a super real-world application, a very useful way to put these formulas into play. This was so cool. So I, for me, this was awesome. Of course, I know Tim really, really well. We go way back, and I know he's in this industry, but this is actually, honestly, my first time hearing all these cool applications of math. I knew they had to be everywhere in the construction industry, but hearing it, it's so cool, especially with slope. It's such a heavily tested concept on the IC, on the ACT, on the SAT, and these geometry concepts. So that was amazing. Thank you so much, Tim. And again, your construction company is Valdivia Construction. Can you spell Valdivia? V-A-L-D-I-V-I-A. All right, awesome. So Valdivia Construction, if you're in Michigan, you need any projects, hit him up. And again, thank you guys so much for joining. I hope this was helpful and informative. New episodes in the, during the summer of 2016 will be dropping every day. So please tune back in for more math or education-related topics and information. Again, thanks for joining. For the show notes, you can go to www.scalarlearning.com. And if you have any questions or comments for me, email me at huzefa at scalarlearning.com. That's all for today. I'll see you guys next time. Take it easy. Learning. Give me that scalar learning. Give me that scalar learning.